talked about natural law, which said, does anybody remember what natural law is? Anybody who was here last week? Natural law says that <laughs> if you want to get the best out of a thing, you got to use it in accord with its nature. To get the best out of something, you must use it in accord with its nature. And we gave examples of um, our black raspberry plants that we love. And if you want them to produce great fruit, you've got to give them sunshine, and you've got to give them water, and you've got to give them time, and you've got to pull weeds, and you've got to give them fertilizer. And if you don't do those things, you're not going to be happy with the fruit you get because blackberry plant, black raspberry plants require those things. In the same way, you wouldn't put sugar water in your gas tank unless you're really acting on faith because cars require gasoline. And if you want to get the best out of your car, you're going to do what it takes to get the best out of your car. Likewise, when we're talking about children... We want to we treat them in accord with their nature. We want to give them the things that God has given us to give them in the time prescribed because we want to get the best out of them for their sake, for our sake, for the kingdom's sake, for the world's sake. We want to get the best out of our children, which means we want to put the best into them and, and treat them the way that they should be treated according to the word of God. So that's natural law. Refresher for those who were here last week and new to those who weren't. All right, uh, Grace and truth. We talked about two of the ingredients that our kids need in order to thrive, in order to grow, in order to have the character that we want built in them. Grace and truth. All right? Did anybody who was here last week have anything, any experiences last week or over the week that, you know, the words came back to your mind and you thought, wow, this is a real opportunity to have grace and truth together, and how can we make this work? Did anybody have any examples of anything like that? I think we have about half of you were here last week, half weren't, so. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, gave a little more truth than grace, maybe. <laughs> Okay. All right. So grace are, are those nice things that we all like. It's mercy. It's kindness. It's tenderness. It's being loving. Those are, those are graceful attributes. Whereas truth is more like, um, I mean, obviously we know what truth is, but, uh, judgment or correction or rebuke or, uh, teaching reality. Those are the things associated with truth. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, Grace is love and kindness and tenderness and mercy and, you know, all those soft, fuzzy things. And, uh, but we need to get those two together because if you have one without the other, then you got a lopsided kid. So if you have a child that you have taught all grace to, that you've just said, oh, it's okay, don't worry, mom, I'll take care of it, uh, you know, everybody makes mistakes and it's just all grace all the time, then you're going to have a really, a kid who's not ready for reality, that doesn't know how to deal with the problems that life throws at them because everything's okay and all the time, right? But everything's not okay. And so truth helps us to, to align ourselves with reality. And then truth would be um, correction and rebuke and judgment and reality. Uh, so, and then if you have a, a, a child who's all truth all the time, 
and never is given grace, then they're going to be really legalistic on themselves, on others. Uh, They're not going to be able to give grace to others, and they're just probably not going to be the most pleasant people to be around. So we want to give grace and truth. Those were our two... um, our two ingredients last week. And then we talked about developing character and what does that look like? All right, give you another chance to answer a question. So what does development of character look like? We said a keyword. Does anybody remember what the keyword for developing of character is? Megan, you remember? <laughs> She's like, don't even ask me. <laughs> it's only been one week. so much good information (laughs) (laughs) all right so developing yes yes she's got it training through experience and practice yes so the key word for developing character is experience okay Uh, giving them opportunities to experience character development it's not talking at them, preaching at them. It's not doing things for them. It's giving them experiences that will help them to to build. And then internalizing, or um, what's the other word? Internalizing, integrating, uh, would be when they take those things that you're teaching them and they take those experiences that they're having and they actually move them inside and they become part of their nature and their uh, makeup as as opposed to yours. So not only now you don't have to, tell them these things because they have, they've gotten it, what you've tried to teach them. So um, two parts of developing character are one, developing, which is uh, experiencing, and then two, integrating or bringing them inside. So that's what we talked about last week. Grace and truth were our first two ingredients, and then our our, uh, third ingredient that we need is time. So we're going to watch a quick video that I think is pertinent to... uh, what we're going to be talking about today, and then we'll come back and talk about it. She spins and she sways to whatever song plays without a care in the world. And I'm sitting here wearing the weight of the world on my shoulders It's been a long day and there's still work to do She's pulling at me saying, Dad, I need you There's a ball at the castle and I've been invited And I need to practice my dancing Oh, please, Daddy, please so I dance with Cinderella while she's here in my arms. Cause I know something the prince never knew. Oh, I dance with Cinderella. I don't want to miss even one song. Cause all Nice guy, and I'd be impressed. 
impressed. She wants to know if I approve of the dress. She says, Dad, the prom is just one week away. And I need to practice my dancing. Oh, please, Daddy, please. So I will dance with Cinderella while she's here. She came home today with the ring on her hand, just glowing and telling us all they had planned. She says, Dad, the wedding's still six months away, but I need to practice my dancing. Oh, please, Daddy, please. So I will dance with Cinderella while she is here. to be really careful not to actually think about the song while I was listening to it. <laughs> the first few times I heard that song, I think I had to pull the car over because I was sobbing uncontrollably. So, <laughs> but it's fitting for what we're talking about tonight. And um, I don't know how many of you know uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman or his story, but um, he re actually wrote this song after losing a child. Um, in a very tragic way. And so while most of us will never lose our children, and I pray none of us ever do, you know, they grow up and they're gone. And so uh, we understand this reality of time. <clears throat> but that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So there's two kinds of time that we're going to talk about. One is the time that your kids require from your life or from, from life in general because God has set up specific developmental processes that they must go through all children go through them. They start off at, you know, birth and they grow up. And th there's just certain things that have to happen in certain times along that timeline. And then there's the time that your kids require from you. And um, so those things are intertwined. They go together, but they are also uh, separate. 
So uh, we have our equation that grace plus truth plus time equals growth, or grace plus truth over a period of time equals growth. All right. So how we use our time matters to God. We will give an account for everything done in the body, the Bible says. Everything we do while we're on this earth, we're going to give an account for. So our time matters, and how we spend it matters. Our culture today has made us producers. Everything today in the Western mind and the Western culture is geared towards production. Romance has been removed out of the heart of a woman. The warrior has largely been taken out of the heart of a man. And we have been formed and fashioned oh so carefully into goal-oriented production engineers. As I was praying the other day, just praying normal stuff, I asked God to help me to be productive and fruitful. And I had to check myself. And I said, okay, Lord. (laughs) You know, sometimes good parenting means not being productive. Oftentimes, being a good parent means not getting done what I wanted to get done. And being productive in life usually is not congruent with having fruitful children or being fruitful when it comes to my children. So if I would consider a day that I thought was really productive, that might include things like getting all the floors swept and mopped, having laundry actually folded and put away. That would be like a day for the record books. Uh, Getting kids fed three times in the day. Maybe I read a little bit or studied. Um, Maybe exercise was in there. Uh, windows washed, yeah, that's never going to happen. So you get the idea, you know, and all those things have to happen. They got to be done, right? They're necessary. But it's not the heart of what I'm called to do. I can be home all day with my children, and I can be neglecting them. I can be putting them off. I can be pushing them away. And while at the end of the day I feel really good about myself because I've gotten a lot done and I look like I was productive, I haven't done one thing that was really important because that's not what I'm called to do. What I'm called to do is be a mom. That would be a day wasted in the light of eternity, if you ask me. And you know what I've found in the the short nine years that I've been a parent? I've found that when I actually take time to delight in my children, I delight in them more. And that may sound really obvious. That may be like, well, duh. (laughs) But it's true. When I slow down... And when I'm purposeful about being with them, I find that I enjoy them more, and they enjoy me more, and they enjoy each other more. And when I slow down and consider them first, I am kinder, I am more patient, I'm able to appreciate them more, which really has a trickle-down effect. You know, I realized in kind of a harsh and unfun way that as the mom... I set the tone for the house, especially when I'm the only parent home, which is most of the day, right? And if my tone says that I am important and what I say needs to be done or what I think needs to be done takes the precedence, then my kids are only going to get in the way, right? If, if what I have to do and my things are what's it, what it's about, then kids are just a liability. They're just a problem in that process. Uh, but when they are the priority, my life is actually enjoyable. When I take time for them, they are so much more likely to gladly help me do the things that I needed to do anyways. And they're much more needy of me. 
So when I take time with my children, I find that I fill up their love tank and they're ready to go and do whatever it is they want to do without me. And they're not around all the time. My kids actually are very self-sufficient for the most part. But I find that the more time I spend with them, the more um, intentional I am about <clears throat> getting time in with them. I actually, they need me less. They actually require less of me. And they're so much more ready to help me do all those things that I needed to do anyways. And they, they really can. <laughs> in fact, several times throughout the process of studying, preparing, thinking, praying, and writing for this life group tonight, I was interrupted, as you can imagine. I have three children, four, six, and nine. But when I was reminded that they are the priority, then I had to stop and take a moment. Because if I actually push them off, it takes a lot of time, believe it or not, to, to study and prepare. And if I were to push them off throughout the whole process of this life group, then I would be neglecting them through the end of November. And as we know, November leads into holidays, which are very busy times. So let's just say January. So I can push them off till January, or I can say, you know what, there's things that are important and there are things that are not. And I'm not making them an idol. I'm not devoting every moment that I'm awake to their full attention, but I make them priority at, at, at appropriate times. Um, so again, and, and what do I have to, to, um, to say for that? My girls love me, you know, and I know that. How do I know that? Because they tell me they love me. Because they're happy when I come home and sad when I leave. Uh, they give me kisses. They make me wildflower bouquets and necklaces and rings and all sorts of things, cards, just to say I love you, Mom. And I, I truly believe that that's because of time well spent, because of investment. So, you know, we talked last week about um, investments that we make, and often we don't see a return for many, many years. But yet, I, I feel like I'm already seeing the return of time that I've put in. And so that can't be, that can't be overstated. So that's um, time that's required from me. So every par parent wants good things for their children, right? But at what cost? So to be sure, these things do not come cheap. The cost is great, and it requires being available and fully engaged in parenting. You live in a culture in which there are opportunities for you to do things unheard of in history. You are presented daily with scores of options for investing your life's energy and creativity. There is more than you could ever do in one day, isn't there? And so we must prioritize. And if you are a parent, then parenting is your primary calling. Many people are parents or have children, but they don't want to be parents. But if God has given us, parent, or given us children, then that is what we're called to do, is to, is to be a parent. You must raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And you cannot do so without investing your life uh, in sensitive communication, helping them understand that life and, and God's word. There's nothing more important. You have only a brief season of life to invest yourself in this task. You have only one opportunity to do it, and you cannot go back and do it over. Parenting will mean that you can't do all the things that you could otherwise do, and don't we want to do all those things? It will affect your golf handicap. It may mean that your house does not look like a picture from Better Homes and Gardens. It will impact your career and your ascent on the corporate ladder. 
It will alter the kinds of friendships you will be able to pursue. And don't I know this? I've seen it. (laughs) I ask myself all the time, how am I supposed to have a friend? I'm a homeschooling mother of three, you know. Where do friendships fit in this picture? And they do. They do fit in. But it's different than it would otherwise be. It will modify the amount of time you have for your hobbies, like boating, hunting, television, shopping, reading books, sleeping, doing all sorts of things. It will mean that you can't develop every interest that comes along. So the costs are high. So that brings us to the question that's not really age-old, because I think it's kind of new, actually, but old enough that it's... uh, We've kind of gotten an answer to it. Quality versus quantity time. Anybody want to chime in on their thoughts on that? Which is it? Is it quality time? Is it quantity time? Who said it? Quality? Okay. Okay. So if you mm-hmm. Okay. Quality over quantity. All right. Anybody else want to chime in on their thoughts about that? Jerry? Okay. So it depends on your situation in life and kind of try to to work on the weak spot a little bit, strengthen the weak area. Okay. Anybody else? So I would say, yes, Laura. Absolutely. So I I, I think the answer is both, actually. And that's hard to do, right? Can we give quantity and quality? But, But really, how great is our quality time if we don't have any quantity time to go under it? If you don't know your child because you haven't spent time with them, then how good can that quality time 
really be. It's those everyday moments that make up life, and, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so last week, one of the moms stated that um, one of her goals for her children was undivided attention. And so, and I think that that's um, a great answer, and it's right in some ways and wrong in some ways. Because I believe that, th- that children need periods of undivided attention. And this is important because we do not give undivided attention. We don't give it to our friends a lot of times. We don't give it to our bosses. We don't give undivided attention because we have, um, we have email and we have Facebook and we have text and we have um, a million things running through our head. And so undivided attention is really like a hot commodity these days. Um, so I would, I would completely agree that children need undivided attention when you're giving them attention. Give it to them fully. Be there. Be in the moment when you are with your children. You know, look into their eyes, hear what they're saying, love on them, and be fully there. But do they need undivided attention all day, every day? No, that'd make total brat of a kid. (laughs) That kid's going to think that the world revolves around them, and that's not going to be someone that you, you know, want to be around or want to, you know, that, that people their age will want to be around. So to invest ourselves completely in the moments that we have time with them. Um, and then, and then like Laura said, sometimes it's just going to be the, being there, being available, being, we'll talk later about conversation and how conversations don't happen on our schedule. They happen on your child's schedule oftentimes. And if you're not just there to catch that moment when it comes, you're going to miss it. And that's an important, an, an important thing to be a part of. So, um, so what do we need? We need quantities of time spent in a particular way. And it must be structured with certain things happening, and that's part of their developmental path. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the time required from life th- that they need, okay? So it's not a secret that quantities of time need to be spent in certain ways because there are people out there who understand this concept. Take, for example, coaches. Okay, if your son or daughter is on a sports team, it's not going to be... If, if, they, if you're, that coach wants to win, we're not going to have one good practice a week and expect for there actually to be a winning record, right? They're going to invest time. It's going to be directed time, structured time, over a period of time that's going to get those kids to learn whatever practice it is, whatever you know, they are trying to learn, whether it's basketball or running or track or chess, you know. Quantities of time, consistent, invested, directed time over a period of time yields results. Gardeners know it, right? Children are living living organisms, just like black raspberry plants that I love. I'm going to keep talking about them because I love them so much. They are growing. They're not static. And growth is happening all the time in a continual process. So if children are growing, someone had better be there to make sure that the growth is happening in the right direction, right? So our vine, take a vine for example. If you plant a vine in your yard, it will grow. It is living. And where it will grow, in what direction it will grow, and the health of that vine completely depends upon you. But it's going to grow. If it's healthy, it'll be up to you. If you ignore it, growth is still going to happen. But it will probably grow in the wrong direction and without proper sustenance. If you let your vine grow and you don't check it, It's very likely that you'll get a call from your neighbor saying, your vine has taken over my yard, and it's getting into my plumbing. You owe me some money. 
Or if you let that vine grow and you don't pay attention to it, your neighbor may call and say, your vine has a disease, which it has now given to all my rose bushes. My lawyer will be calling you, right? So the vine's going to grow just like your children, but you want to be there for the process. All right, you guys remember, did anybody see that movie Click a long time ago? Adam Sandler, don't recommend it. It's got some sketchy parts, can't recommend it. But it had a good point, okay? Click was a guy played by Adam Sandler who was kind of annoyed with the nitty-gritty of life. And uh, so he went to the store to get a remote control, and he ended up getting a universal remote, which remote-controlled his universe. And so what he found with his remote control is that he could mute the dog barking or that he could fast-forward the fight with his wife or that he could skip ahead to a promotion at his job. But then he came to found that life was really more about those nitty-gritty things. And uh, one, one person who commented on the, the uh, movie had a great quote. Life is as much about the moments he'd like to forget as it is about the moments he'll always remember. Life is as much about the moments that we'd like to forget as it is about the moments that we'll always remember. You can't skip the nitty-gritty. You can't skip the things that don't seem important because the things that are important will be nothing without them, right? When we're training for a sport, we spend hours and hours and hours conditioning, probably not nearly so much time actually playing the sport and even less time in, in a game, right? But without the conditioning and without all that practice, there's nothing to the, to the game, right? There's, there's nothing valuable there. So life is full of forgettable moments, but they are what make up life, and you can't skip it. If you do, quality time will mean nothing. So we go back to the vine, and we're going to talk a little bit about the structure that it needs. If we want our vine to be healthy, we've got to give it structure. We've got to watch over it. Uh, something we know is obvious but needs to put before us all the time as parents is that children are not little adults. And some of us who have children who may be between two and, I don't know, six years old, that can be easy to forget. You know, you ask them to do something and you just, why aren't you doing it? What's wrong with you? But children are not little adults, okay? So uh, if you have not told them something, they do not know. And the process of them knowing something can be long and arduous sometimes. But let's look at some things that, at some structure that might be helpful for you. So the first thing we want to do, especially when we're teaching a child a new concept, is introduce your child to the reality. Now, what is that reality? Uh, children don't know something before they are taught or told. They must be shown a concept, a rule, or behavior before they understand it. So uh, a good example would be my four- and six-year-old who um, love to make a messy room, just like probably every four- and six-year-old out there. It's like they clean it, and 20 minutes later, you would never know it. Yes. So my six-year-old, Lena, she can pretty much handle it, right? You say, go clean your room, and she knows what to do, although she may lack the actual uh, longevity or mental focus to finish the job. She, she could do it. But my four-year-old, Lily, doesn't really know how to clean the room, okay? I haven't taken the time to sit down with her and show her how to fold clothes, where exactly they go. She knows to put away her toys, but she probably can't put away her dresses, if not because she doesn't know how, but because she's not tall enough to reach the hangers, okay? 
So telling her to clean her room is actually not a very fair thing of me to do. Now, I know that she can't do it, so I'm not going to discipline her necessarily when she can't do it, but it's really not even fair for me to ask her, her to do it because I have not given her the structure. I have not taught her about that reality. So in order for her to be able to do that, I need to teach her the reality. This is how you clean your room. Okay? What might that be for an older child? We want to, to teach maybe, I don't know, a preteen or a teenager how to use money, how to be responsible with money. Chances are they're not going to get it right the first time, right? So we want them to learn, I'm going to give you an allowance, and, you know, let's just try this thing out. So say we're really generous and we give like $10 every week. So it's been about a month, and our young, our young teenager wants something in the store. And you tell them, listen, if you go out and buy this, it's all your money. You're not going to have it. They say, ah, I got this. This is what I want. So they go and blow it. And then the next week, something they've been really wanting and waiting for goes on big sale. And they could afford it, but they just spent all their money. What are we going to do? Okay? So <laughs> we're giving them, we're, we're teaching them about reality, right? We'll get to what we do with that in just a minute. So next, after we introduce them to reality, we want to allow our child to hit the reality limit of their ability, okay? Children will fail the first time they try something. In reality, probably most of us will fail the first time we try something. So how much more our children, right? They will fail. And if they're not getting it right because they're not trying or because they simply refuse to do something, well, then that's an issue of discipline, okay? But if they're trying and failing, that's just an opportunity for us to, to teach again, right? So they're going to fail. We know that. Let's not expect them to know something before it's their time, before we've taught them, or let's not expect them, and I should say, let's not expect them to get it right the first time. Give your child a chance to fail. He needs to hear it first, how to do it. He needs to be told before expected, and then he needs to be given a chance to, to fail. All right? Uh, so, so we're teaching um, that, they, that to disobey is not okay, all right? We'll get into this more when we talk about discipline. But just to touch on it right now, we need to let them know what is expected of them and what the consequences are. A child should never be surprised to be disciplined. They should know clearly ahead of time, this is what is expected of you, and this is what the consequences are, if, if you fail to meet those expectations. And the expectations need to be age-appropriate because if you tell your children to do something that they just simply cannot do developmentally or in the process of, of life, then you're setting them up for failure. Okay? So, so our requirements of them need to be age-appropriate and they need to be laid out ahead of time because I don't want my kid, why, why did you spank me? Why did you put me in timeout? Why is this happening? They should never have to say that. They should know ahead of time this is what the rule is. This is what happens if you break it. And they should be ready for that. My, <laughs> my little Lily, God bless her. I love her with my whole heart. But she is a little spitfire. And, but she knows now because mommy is reading lots of books on parenting. Lots and lots of books spending lots of time reading about parenting. So mommy's getting really consistent with her discipline. 
<laughs> and so Lily comes to me now, and she's very quick to, to apologize to her sisters after she has done something to offend them. Usually it's something physical. Um, and, you know, as soon as I... <laughs> I forget what it was the other day. Um, I forget what it was, but she came to me, and I said, now what happens when you do this? I get a spanking. Do you know why you get a spanking? She's like, yeah, but just don't do it hard, okay, mommy? <laughs> With the real drama look that is just like, oh, how do I, how do, I do this? She's so cute. Um, but yes, so, so the, dis- the action, the consequence should be clearly lined out. Um, okay, so we're at Lily and, the, uh, and her room that needs to be cleaned. So she's not going to be able to do it the first time. And when she fails, she's probably going to be kind of upset, you know, either if I'm upset or because she knows she's failed, right? We all kind of feel bad when we fail at something. So we want to empathize with her and say, okay, it's all right. Did you try? And then, you know, we're going to bring it back around. Uh, talking about the, the allowance, all right? So we've, we've got our child. They spent their money. And... Um, and now they want something else. So now they're going to hit reality. They're going to hit the limit. Listen, I gave you $40. You earned $40, and you chose how to spend it. Sorry, you don't get any more money. Can I earn more? Nope, I'm sorry. $10 a week is what you get. And you can still earn $10 a week, but sorry, that toy you want might not be on sale when, when you're ready, when you got the $40 or the 50 or however much they need. All right, so we're going to let them hit the limit. And then we're going to transform the failure, which we kind of just talked about, by, uh, by discipline if it's necessary. Sometimes it's not discipline. Sometimes it's just, oops, we failed and bought something that we didn't mean to buy or that we wanted when we really you know, wanted something else. So transforming the failure is empathizing with them, is disciplining if necessary, but that helps them uh, to not be angry, to not be overly sad, but we're going to um, help them to internalize. This is the process where we, where we help them to integrate what character trait it is that we're trying to build. And then we encourage the child to try again. So we're not giving Junior any more money. We're going to let him hit that wall, and we're going to let him learn to try again. Because next time, he's going to save his money and be sure that he really is buying what he wants to buy, right? You couldn't have convinced him of anything else. You couldn't have talked him into the right decision. You couldn't have lectured him enough. But now he has experience, and now he can begin to integrate it, right? So we talked about um, developing character is done by experience, practical experience. So he's experienced it, and now he's going to get it. Next time, he's going to be a little bit more careful with his money. So we encourage our our child to, to try again. You know, failure is a part of life. And one of the most poignant things that I, that I have read in one of the books is uh, these writers who I just love so much. Dr. Cloud and Townsend, they, they write the Boundaries book. They wrote this book, um, Raising Great Kids. Uh, somebody asked him one time in a seminar and said, what if there's one thing I could teach my kid, what would it be? And you're just waiting for this profound, deep thing. And he says, if there's one thing I could teach my kid, it's how to fail. That is not what I expected to read. (laughs) But when I think about it, I think, wow, that is so deep. (laughs) That is so right. Because failure is a part of life. 
Failure happens. Your kid will fail. You will fail. And those who fail learn to overcome. And those who, who learn to fail well and get back up and do it right and try again, they're the ones who are successful, not the ones who cry and, oh, woe is me, and mommy and daddy cover for them. They just, you know, that doesn't work. But those who learn to fail and fail well to get back up again, those are the ones who, who succeed in life. So, man, I thought that was so good. All right, so most parents realize they must spend time with their child, but sometimes spending time is simply not enough. You have to also know how a child uses time to become a mature person. And the biblical word for mature includes several ideas, but among them is to ripen, like a fruit, like a black raspberry plant. (laughs) All right, some important things to note. You cannot accomplish certain tasks. In fact, most tasks you cannot accomplish before it's time. For example, you cannot teach an infant to read because that belongs to the school age years. You cannot teach a preschooler about dating because that belongs to the teen years. And there are other certain motor skills a child is not neurologically and physically ready to handle until their time. You must wait until it's time. Don't think you will have better children if you push them to learn things before it's time. Parents, usually, parents who push their children are more concerned about their own pride and their own feeling and sense of accomplishment than they are about their child and the child's well-being. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And God has wired us just that way. So let your child be who they need to be for the season of life that they are in, not forcing them to be older. When a recipe says, Bake the cake at 350 degrees for one hour, what happens if you take that cake out after half an hour? It's not done. What if you leave it in too long? You don't want that cake either, all right? So we want to give things in the right time, at the prescribed time. Raise the temperature up, yeah. Not a good idea. Yeah, crispy on the outside, mushy on the inside. (laughs) All right. And uh, while we're talking about everything in its time, just want to encourage, I don't know how many, we have some moms of young children here. And it's important to note, because I'm coming on the tail end of this thing, that this season does not last forever. Those of you who have young children, this too shall pass. It is a season. I have a good friend who lives in Florida. She's got eight children. And she told me, you know what? It gets exponentially easier from here. When your youngest is out of diapers and five or six years old, it just gets so much easier. And you couldn't have probably told me that when I had little little baby who takes all my time, you know. But it is true. Life gets easier. You will exit this stage of life, this tiresome, overwhelming, dirty house stage It'll, it'll pass, okay? So just, you know, survive. <laughs> there is light at the end of the tunnel, and there is grace for you. There's a verse in the Bible in Isaiah that says, he gently leads those with young. As a shepherd would lead the sheep, he leads us. And those who have young, he has a tender heart for. So don't give up. Soldier on. You can do it. All right, and last thing I want to talk about um, is communication. And I, I, I'm sure that I can't, talk about everything today that I want to say about communication, but communication is what's going to get you to the heart of your child. 
It's what's going to allow you to instill those kingdom principles and to make the lifetime lasting um, impact. So if you were to think about your relationship with your children, what portion of the time you spend talking to your children would you say is communicating rules or administering correction and punishment? (laughs) Just something to think about. What percentage or what portion of the time that you have in actual communication with your children is just telling them what to do, how to do it, or dealing with the consequences if they've done it wrong. (laughs) Yes. Um, Just in general. Just in general. It could be. Right. Yes, but it's very possible, even no matter what age you're, stage you're in, to be communicating more rules and and correction and and dealing with the breaking of those rules than it is, you know, to actually having rich communication with them. So, rich communication, vibrant relationship, and the instilling of God's heart in your child requires much more, much more than just communicating. Uh, the rules that you want followed and how to do that and and on and on. So let's look at what communication should be. Deuteronomy 6-7 says, These commandments are to be in your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I'll read that again. Deuteronomy 6-7 says, These commandments are to be in your heart. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. All right. And I, oh, I didn't read the earlier verses and I don't have them here. So I can't ask you this question. Why are we to teach our children the commandments of the Lord? I'm sure there would be lots of good answers. But earlier in the passage, it states (laughs) that uh, we do that so that our children, ourselves, and our children's children may fear the Lord and have long life. The Bible actually says that. If we fear the Lord and if we obey his commandments, if we impress them on our children, if we talk about them along the way, when we are on the way, when we are at home and we're sitting, when we're rising, if we put them on the doorpost of our house and if we tie them around our necks or on our, on our foreheads, then if we do these things, if we fear the Lord, we can have long life. Um, so how are we to teach our children? Pretty much all the day all the day. This is a continual process. When? All the time. And it's not a request, right? doesn't sound like a, re- a request to me. This is a commandment from the Lord. So a conversational relationship with our children is vital to their spiritual formation. You may hear that and be pleased. You often talk with your children about spiritual things. However, spiritual conversation with your children may be about as frequent as leap years or the appearance of a comment. If that aspect is present in your relationship, then there's always room for improvement. If that aspect is missing, then it's never too late to begin. It may be harder, but it's never too late. A wise man said, in all things natural, in conversation, be as spiritual as possible. In all things spiritual, be as natural as possible thought that was great advice. When you're having a conversation, in all things natural, be as spiritual as possible. In all things spiritual, 
be as natural as possible. When you're dealing with something that's not a spiritual concept, relate it to heavenly things. Show them how it applies to kingdom principles or kingdom principles apply to it. But when you're having spiritual conversations, don't get your spiritual voice and whoa, make it as natural as you can so that they understand that um, they all go together. You know, we are in this world, but not of it. We are natural creatures in the flesh, but we're kingdom minded. Honest, thorough communication is expensive. Insightful, penetrating conversations take time. Children require both time and flexibility. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Children do not pour out their hearts on our, de- on our schedule, on our demand. A wise parent talks when kids are in the mood. Every so often, and you have seen this, they will ask a question or make a comment or reveal some aspect of their little heart. In those times when their conscience is stirred, that's when you need to talk. And this may require dropping everything just to seize that critical moment. You must become a good listener. Communication is not a monologue. It's not one-sided. You must learn to listen. It is a dialogue. James encourages us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I can't think of a more pertinent relationship in which that should be true than the parent-child relationship. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Hmm. Who knows? James what? Five? Yeah, that sounds right. Five. <laughs> Look up James five. Huh? Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, so some parents think listening is what you do between opportunities to say something. Don't be that parent. Because when they're listening, they're not really listening. They're just trying to think of what they're going to say next. Proverbs 18.2 says, The fool does not delight in understanding, but in airing his own opinions. Ouch. Proverbs 18.13 reminds us that he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. The finest art of communication is not learning how to express your thoughts. It's learning how to draw out the thoughts of another. Your objective in communication must be to understand your child, not to have them understand you. You're your child, you're to get your child to articulate their feelings. Ask open-ended questions. Open-ended questions are questions that don't, that aren't answered with a yes or a no, uh, but get them to actually talk. And I, I, I love this. When I read this one book the first time, this stuck out to me as I was reading it again, and I remembered it from the first time. The irony is that when children are little, we often fail to engage them in significant conversation. When they are trying to engage us, we respond with our uninterested, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eventually, they learn the ropes. They realize that we are not interested in what goes on inside of them. They learn that a good talk for us is a good listen for them. When they become teens, the tables turn, and parents wish they could engage their teens, but the teens have long since stopped trying. 
If this is you with your teens, it's not too late, but it will require work. And if your children are small, learn this now. Engage them now and reap the fruit of your labor while everyone else is scratching their heads. All right? That, that actually that had an, a big impact on me because I want to be a mom that my children will talk to when they're teenagers. Everyone dreads the teenage years, and I can understand that, but I, I believe with my whole heart that if I engage them now, if I have a relationship of open communication with them now, we can weather that storm. We can get through it together if we can talk to one another. And that starts when they're three and four and five and six years old. <laughs> I use an app, actually, and if anybody's interested in getting the name of it, I can show it to you. I don't do it all the time, but sometimes when we're sitting at the table and maybe Daddy has a board meeting or he's not around, then I will take this app, and it's from Focus on the Family, and it has questions that are separated by gender and by age that I can ask my kids. So, um, you know, a simple question might for a seven-year-old might be, uh, what does it mean to be a good friend? And that can start a whole conversation. So when I don't know what to talk about with my girls, because sometimes I don't have a clue, I get out my app and I say, okay, let's find a question that's good, you know. And, you know, some of them might be about music or, um, I don't know, why do we love God? Why does he love us, you know? Um, just, just questions. So that's been really useful for us. And then conversation is, is, is expensive in other areas, not just in time. It requires stamina. It requires spiritual energy when you're delving into some deep things that re actually require a lot of thought. It requires follow-through because you may have a conversation with your child that's not just done right there. It may require you to think about it a week later or a month later and actually be in invested in that single conversation that you're having. It requires mental fortitude, okay? So again, being mentally present, being in the moment with your child when you are there with them. So easy when my child is taught, oh, I just have to work so hard. <laughs> it's, we all know, right? You know, I'm sitting there talking with Mia and she's just da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da and I'm thinking about the meal I have to make or the room I have to clean or this, that, or the other to focus on what she's saying, and then when we actually are, are dialoguing about it, to not go off on this rabbit trail or that rabbit trail, but deal with the issue that's being presented. That takes, that, for me, that takes a lot of strength. <laughs> that takes some hard work. Uh, real quality communication is proactive. Many parents are in the habit of only talking when something is wrong. A regular habit of talking together prepares the way for talking in strained situations. A regular habit of talking together prepares the way for talking when things are strained, when things are tough. You will never have the hearts of your children if you talk with them only when something is wrong. So again, we're not just communicating rules. We're not just dealing with discipline issues. We're having communication with them, which means talking and listening, understanding your child uh, so that when something is wrong, they will open up to you. Uh, so just real quickly, we're going to go through how communication, what communication might look like, just real briefly, at each age. So um, in the early years, which are zero through three, we're just going to talk to them. We're going to read books. We're going to sing. 
We're going to listen to them babble. We're just filling up that love tank, okay? What you're doing in these years is building voice recognition and a container that they came to know and tr- they come to know and trust. And in the following years, you're going to fill up that container. But they're just recognizing your voice. They're just knowing that you're there, and uh, they're building that trust. The discovery years, which is age four through seven, you're filling up that container. And I'm just going to read what the guy wrote this, whose article it is. He says, as I write this, I'm simultaneously having a conversation with my five-year-old daughter about her heart. She's worried about something poking in and hurting her. The conversation ensues that God thought about that and created us with layers of protection, like skin and a rib cage, to protect our vital organs. She responds, wow, that's cool. Can I have a goldfish? Short and sweet, huh? Remember, you're placing small, brief deposits in the container. But over time, little things mean a lot because they discover gradually. So that's ages four through seven. And then in the tween years, which is eight to 12, he says, let me make a suggestion. Be confessional with your conversations or in your conversations with your tweeners. My tweeners love to hear about mistakes I made at their age. Now, obviously, I'm reading this because I don't have eight. Well, I do, actually. Okay, yep, I got a tweener. (laughs) They love to hear about my blunders and the fact that the world didn't end, and that's a surefire way to have a conversation with them at home or on the road. If we'll but confess our sins, he will forgive us. Our tweeners will listen and hear and learn of a God who is faithful and just. And when they make that mistake, that they're sure will stop the world from turning, they might just seek us out and ask us to help them approach the throne of grace. And then the teens, 13 to 18. um, He he says, if you didn't build that container, if you didn't do the work in the early years, you're going to have a hard time when they're teenagers. But it's not impossible. I can tell you from my own experience, um, I had a father who was kind of the strong, silent type, didn't talk a lot until after I left for college. So we didn't have a really close relationship. But uh, as the years went on, and now I'm adult, I'm able to have a little bit more of that conversation because he has pursued it, because he has made himself available and actually been um, proactive in that. So, and again, I'm an adult, that's different than a teenager, but... I understand what it's like to not necessarily have a good relationship with a parent um, during those critical years. But I can guarantee you, if he had made those advances at that time, um, it would have been difficult. But if it was consistent, and um, I saw that there was a genuineness there, I know that over time that would have developed. And so I think that's what he's saying here. It's hard, but it's not impossible. All right, and he says, there are times when con- uh, conversation is best achieved shoulder-to-shoulder as opposed to face-to-face, and the teen years may be just such a time. He says, I could talk to my dad about almost anything as long as we were changing the oil in my pickup or on, a, on the way to a ball game, but sit me down in front of him at the dinner table? Forget about it. A surefire way to make sure there was no good communication, and this may be different from, from boys and girls because obviously this is a, a guy talking. Um, sometimes the gaze of the father or mother is too much. It must be mediated by something. So do the hard work of parenting and find that something that utilizes it. Whatever it takes, don't let the conversation run dry in these years. It's never too late to talk. Never. All right? And then the last thing I want to touch over is just this idea, okay, so we're, we're building in them 
uh, over time, grace and truth over time, consistently. But what if we've gotten to a place where we were not doing that? Or what if we look back and say, man, I haven't done that. <laughs> and this is, not, this is not for condemnation, but this is an encouragement that your child is always learning. You are always training your child something. You're always teaching them something. You might be teaching her that she is not important, that there are better things in your life than spending time with her. You may be teaching her that money and having things is what really matters in life. You may be teaching your child that drinking is where the answers are found, or that the bottle, or a substance, or a relationship, or a hobby are more important than Christ. You may be teaching that anger and yelling is the way to get people to listen to you, or that speaking to someone some way to their face or another way behind their back is the way to do relationship. You may be teaching that people will like you if you act a certain way in public, or you may be teaching them to be duplicitous. But whether or not you intend to, you are always teaching. You are always training your children. They are looking at us. They are wanting direction. They are wanting structure. They are wanting that sunshine and that water and the pulling of the weeds and all the things that they need to grow. They want it and they're looking to us for it. And if they don't find that from us, they will find something. They will learn something. And so I encourage you to be active, be proactive, make sure that what you're doing as a parent is what you intend to be doing. And what they're learning from you is what you want them to learn from you. Don't sit by and by because they, they, are, they are learning. Time is short. And even if tomorrow were guaranteed, the days you have now, you can't get back. So I'll dance with Cinderella. I'll cherish her. I'll talk to her. I'll kiss her. I'll love her while she's here in my, in my arms. Because all too soon the clock will strike midnight. Then she'll be gone. So I encourage you. Love your children. Give them the best of your years. Give them the best of your time because you can't get it back. You can't get it back. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you tonight. And we thank you for our children. They are precious in your sight. And they are precious in our sight, God. They are a jewel. They are a treasure. And Lord, I pray that we would treat them as such. God, that you would impress upon our hearts that, um, that they are a gift and that every moment we have from them is a gift. They are not a trial. They are not something to be endured. God, they are, they are a gift from you and we are stewards of them. So, Lord, we just ask that you would allow us the grace and the strength to be who you've called us to be. Teach us how to engage our children in meaningful conversation. Teach us how to get to their heart, Lord, so that we can turn that heart towards you. Let us be a reflection of your love, God. Let us be a reflection of your grace, and let us be a reflection of your truth. God, we we need you in this process. Lord, I pray that you would help us to encourage one another, that we would be the iron that sharpens iron that we need to be in life, but especially as parents, God. Help us to be teachable. We submit ourselves to you, Lord. 
May you receive the glory from our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.